I hope we all had a wonderful time of singing praises and glorifying his holy name. It is only Christ, it is only Christ that is worthy of all worship in this world. For a few moments of our time, let us go into God's word. I understand that we have been doing a series called I'm In. So we have completed I'm Invited, I'm Invaluable, and I'm Today. Today is I'm Influential. Today is I am, can I hear that? I am Influential today. Okay. So God has called each and every one to be influencers. As human beings, we are all wired to want to have an impact in this world. We are people who desire to want to make a difference in this world. In our social media culture, we tend to think that an influencer is someone who has the most number of likes, who has the most number of followers, who has the most number of retweets on Twitter. That person is the most influential person. And because of that, brands begin to reach out to them and they advertise brands for marketing purposes. And ultimately their aim is that their names will be written in the history books and their names will be accorded in the Hall of Fame. But what is, let us come to the scriptures. Scriptures also call us to be influential people. But what does the scripture really say about being influential? I think our culture has really hijacked the meaning of the term being an influential person. Influencer, who is an influencer? Let us go to the scriptures. Matthew chapter 5 verses 13 to 16. Matthew chapter 5 verses 13 to 16. It says, you are the salt of the earth. You are the light of the world. A town built on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. So what is the biblical definition of being an influencer? Why do we influence people so that our Father in heaven is glorified by the good deeds that we do. So that the Father is glorified. So we influence others so that the Father is glorified. Now, our text for today is John chapter 4. We see Jesus taking a woman through a process, making her an influencer. Let's see what are the stages that she has to go through to become an influencer in this world. Now let me say one thing before that. We need to be influenced by Jesus before we influence others. We need to be influenced by Jesus before we influence others. Now, we see a woman over here 
who is having five failed marriages and she is called the Samaritan woman. Five failed marriages. Even today, you know, today's 21st century culture, we rarely hear about five failed marriages. And the interesting thing is, Jesus, you are planning to make that woman an influencer? Shocking. Surprising. Now, what, is, what does that tell us? This tells us that God can use anyone, anyone, despite their circumstances in life to influence people. Let us go to John chapter 1, John chapter 4, verses 1. Our text today is from 1 to 42. Verse 1, verse 1. We see two influential people over here, John the Baptist and Jesus Christ himself. John the Baptist was a really influential person. You know, he had many disciples following him. But when Jesus comes into the stage, John the Baptist, he suddenly leaves the stage. He was a great influencer. He had many disciples following him. Jesus was now gaining more popularity as a leader. And John the Baptist, he gives way for Jesus. And that is why we see John the Baptist saying, let him increase and let me decrease. So influences of Christ, they do not focus on gaining followers for themselves, but they focus on encouraging others to follow Christ. When Christ came into the scene, John the Baptist said, go, go, go follow him. He's the one you need to follow. Go, go. Now this story is well known, the Samaritan woman. In the story of the Samaritan woman, this is an outcast woman. And salvation comes to this woman. How, let me, let, let's go to verse 39. In John chapter 4, verse 39. It says, from that city, many of the Samaritans believed in him because of the word of the woman. Wow. God used her to influence an entire village. Because of the word of the woman, many people from that city came to Christ. So this is a story that is going to tell us how we as believers of Christ can influence and approach the unbelieving world with the gospel and make them understand what it offers and what it demands. Now there are these stages that God, Jesus is taking this Samaritan woman through to make her an influencer in this world. Now before that, let me just explain the context of what it means to be a Samaritan. Samaritans were people who were known as half-breeds. They were defiled people. They were corrupted Jewish race. So in, in 720 BC, 722 BC, this nation called Assyria, it's there in the Old Testament, it's there in 2 Kings chapter 17. The background, the entire, you will understand the dynamics of this passage when you go there. So, Assyrians capture the land of Israel and they take some people from Samaria to their land and they leave back some people in Samaria and the Assyrians have come and colonized that area and they brought their gods as well to that area. 
and Assyrians intermarried with the people of Samaria. And through this, the people of Samaria defiled themselves. Now, this is a heinous crime for any Jew to intermarry with foreign religions. So these people were seen as half-breeds. They were hybrid people who had committed a heinous crime. So number one, she is an outcast woman. She's not just an outcast woman, she is an immoral woman. You'll come to see that. And finally, you'll come to know that she is also an ignorant woman. Jesus says to her in the same passage, you do not know what you are worshipping. So she's also an ignorant woman. Now, she is not like the person in the previous chapter, John chapter 3, like Nicodemus, just the exact opposite. Who is Nicodemus? Nicodemus was seeking for Jesus. He knew who Jesus was. You are a prophet. You are being doing signs and wonders. Therefore, I am coming to you at night. Nicodemus. Now, this woman, did she know about Jesus? No. She did not know anything about Jesus. She is totally a stranger to Jesus. Who is Nicodemus? He is a moral person. He is religious. He is an upstanding Jew. He is learned. He is a theologian. He is from the socially elite class. He is a devout person. He is respected by the society. And he sought out Jesus. But still he couldn't understand who Jesus was. Now this woman, exactly the opposite. She is the last person to be called religious person. And it is very surprising. Jesus reveals his identity to this woman, Samaritan woman. So this is just the background. Now, when we go out into this world, I know we tend to get very self-righteous because we are living in a very fallen, immoral world. And it is very easy for us to have hatred and resentment towards people. But they are not our enemy, the people outside. They are our mission field. We are called to influence them. They are alienated from God and it is our responsibility to go out and influence those people. Now verse 3 to 4. Verse 3 to 4. John chapter 4, 3 to 4. It says over there, Jesus had to go through Samaria to go to Galilee. Okay, let me just, okay, Jesus is leaving Judea. He is now going to the northern part of Israel, Galilee. So let me just, just let's just imagine the map of Israel for now. It's divided into three parts, the map of Israel. The northern part is called Galilee. The middle part is called Samaria. And the last part, the bottom part is called Judea. Jesus is now in Judea and now he wants to go through go to Galilee and he has to pass through Samaria. Now, why am I saying this? I'm saying this because a religious, devout Jew does not pass through Samaria to go to Galilee. No. Because they understand that if we go through Samaria, we become defiled. So what they did, religious Jews, they go, they take the side route, they take the west route through the sea and they go to the northern part of Galilee. They don't go through Samaria. Now it says over here, Jesus had to. It was necessary that he had to go through Samaria. 
Now look at the grammatical construction over there. He had to, it was necessary that he had to go through Samaria. This was a divine appointment. So number one, God divinely chooses us to be influencers, divinely. This was a divine appointment. He, Jesus was on a divine timetable. Now this meeting with the woman is not an accident. It was planned by God even before the foundations of the world was laid. It was necessary that he had to go through Samaria. So Jesus was headed towards one surprised sinful woman. Jesus was willing to cross any barriers to reach out to that one person. So Jesus reaches out to this woman at a very unconvenient time. Twelve noon. It says it was the sixth hour. Scorching heat. And Jesus goes to meet this woman at twelve noon. And surprisingly, she is also coming at that point of time to take water from the well. Women usually do not go at that time to take water. In the Old Testament times, they go in the evening to take water from the well. Now, Jesus meets her. Now, she goes at 12 noon. And it says over there, Jesus was to the point of sweat and exhaustion. Jesus was wearied. Now, this shows his humanity. Just shows that he was 100% man. But at the same time, we see the divinity of Jesus over here. His divine nature in the same passage. Now let's see how Jesus is influencing this particular woman. So we saw that Jesus divinely chooses this woman to become, to become an influencer. Jesus here takes the initiative to come into her world. So we never sought after Jesus. We never did. We will never do that. It is Jesus who sought after us to make us an influencer in this world. She is not a woman who is worthy of the attention of the Son of God. Now Christ takes the initiative. And how does he begin? He just begins this conversation by asking a very candid question. Can you give me some water to drink? Very candid. Now it is a very shocking thing in that culture to see a man talking with a woman in the public. Shocking. Why am I saying that? Because Pharisees were often called bruised and bleeding Pharisees. Why, they were, why are they called bruised and bleeding? Because whenever they used to see a woman, they, when they see a woman, they close their eyes and they close their eyes for one minute and they start walking. And somehow they run into buildings and they crash themselves and they are called bruised and bleeding. That's how that term came up. And even Jewish rabbis during those days, they do not even talk to their own wives in public. But Jesus here takes risks to reach out to this one woman who got five failed marriages. And Jesus is asking her, give me a drink. Verse 9. Therefore, the Samaritan woman said to him, how is it that you being a Jew ask me for a drink since I am a Samaritan woman? For Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. 
Now, literally, the, the meaning here is Jews do not use the utensils of the Samaritans. Now, it is very surprising. God had to send his only son into this world to do what people would never do. And that is to reach out to this lost woman. And the second thing that we see is Christ. Number one, we saw that Christ initiates this whole process of making you an influencer. And number two, Christ offers mercy and salvation to this particular woman. Christ offers mercy and salvation to people. Now, very surprising. Jesus is flipping the conversation over here. Jesus comes and asks, I want to drink some water. I want to have some water. Now, Jesus flips the conversation. He is saying that, um, actually, I'm not the one who is thirsty. Um, you are the one that is really thirsty. So, we see over here that Jesus is offering her mercy. How, how is that? We understand Jesus starts this con conversation. He goes to the gospel now, right now. He says, if you knew the mercy of God, if you knew this gift of God, he's talking about living waters over here. Now, this is the, he's offering the gospel. He starts with the candid conversation. Now he's moving into the gospel. He's offering this person the gospel. Now, what, what is so different about the gospel? How are we any different from the people outside in this world? How are we different? The gospel says you might be in whatever state that you are in right now in this world. And whatever state you are morally right now, it's okay. I am coming to you and I am offering a gift. And this is a gift of mercy. This is a gift of salvation, living water. The living water is the salvation water that Jesus is offering to her. The world, every other religion in this says, do this, do that, do this. And you will earn your salvation. Somehow, if your good deeds outweigh your bad deeds, you will earn your salvation. Somehow, if you do all these good deeds, um, God might consider looking at you. And if he's happy, he might consider taking you to heaven. That is how the world perceives. But what is the gospel? The gospel is Christ comes to us in our unworthy state and he gives us his mercy. So Jesus initiates a conversation and Jesus offers this person mercy, salvation. Third, now after all this has happened, it is not enough to stop here. It is not enough to stop here. We need to move further. Many people think, I'll just share the gospel, you know, Jesus loves you and has a wonderful plan for your life, over. No. There's one more stage of Jesus making this person an influencer. Jesus makes her understand her guilt of sin. Jesus makes her understand that there is a judgment coming. So the third thing, as an influencer, how the process of becoming an influencer is we become aware of our sins, our sinful nature. 
So firstly, we initiate a conversation with the person. We offer that person about mercy of God and the blessings, promises, promises that comes along with it. And when the person signs up for this gift of mercy, we cannot just offer them the gladness, the rosy picture of eternal life, being a believer. That is not enough. We have to move further. There is something missing in today's discipleship, and that is conviction of sin. We need to understand that we are all sinful beings. Now, how does Jesus make us understand that? Jesus says, go and call your husband. You have had five husbands. So she is convicted now. Jesus makes her understand her conviction of sin. Now, verse 20. What happens after this? Verse 20. She finally shifts, shifts the conversation again. She says, Our ancestors worshipped on this mountain, but you Jews claim that the place where we worship is in Jerusalem. So there were two temples during those days. Samaritans worshipped in Gerizim and Jews worshipped in Jerusalem. So there were two temples. So she is confused. Which, where should I go for worship? Now, my fourth point is this. Christ influences people for doing worship. We were singing that song, we are made to worship. Now, the moment the sinner encounters the moment the sinner encounters his or her sinfulness, the immediate response soon after that is it leads to worship. Soon after that. She poses a question of worship. She is now convicted of her sins. Now she is moving to the next stage. What is worship? What is worship? Our ancestors worshipped in this mountain. Should I go to, how do I worship? Where do I worship? Should I go to this church? Should I go to that church? Where do I worship? This is an immediate response after we understand our own sinful depravity. And Jesus answers her, verse 21, how can we worship him? By believing in him. And Jesus says to her, worship is not a place. There is coming a time, Jesus says, there is an hour is coming when you will neither worship in this temple nor that temple but true worshippers will be worshipped in spirit and in truth now it is Jesus was making a very prophetic statement over here in AD 70 do you know what happened AD 70 I'm, I'm saying AD 70 all these numbers because this is not a fairy tale this is not a legend this is not some myths that we are dealing with today this is real history in AD 70, both these temples were demolished completely by the Romans, completely. There was no place to worship. So Jesus says, it's not about the place, it's about the heart. True worshipers worship in spirit and in truth. What is truth? The scriptures. We worship according to the scriptures, God's word, and in spirit, from the deep bottom of our hearts. Now, Christ ushers in a new era of worship. It is not a superficial worship that Christ is ushering in. If we have a superficial knowledge of God, that will lead to a false worship. That will not lead to a complete worship. 
So the more we know the scriptures, the more we understand the depths, the treasures of the scripture, the more we worship Christ. We see more in his glory. And finally, finally, Christ influences others to reveal himself. Finally, after her sin was exposed, she understood she was a sinful person. And soon that moves into worship, the question of worship. And soon after the question, she understood what worship is all about. It moves into God's revelation. Christ influences people to reveal himself. Verse 25, it says, she says, I know the Messiah is coming, he who is called Christ. And when that one comes, he will declare all things to us. I want to know. She's saying, I want to know the truth, the real truth. So until the Messiah comes, I cannot know all the truths. So she wants the full truth. And finally, Jesus makes this glorious, glorious, glorious statement to her. I who speak to you, I am. Wow. Christ makes himself known to influencers. I who speak to you, I am. The God of the Old Testament, he incarnates himself, comes into this world in the form of a man, and he is telling her, giving her the final revelation, I who speak to you, I am. And what do we do as influence of, influences of Christ? We go out into this world and reveal Christ to people. Now what makes this very unique, Jesus' declaration of himself to this woman? Jesus does not reveal himself to the Jerusalem religious leaders. He does not reveal himself to his own disciples till this time, till this moment. He does not reveal himself to the Pharisees and the Sadducees till this time. But he chooses to reveal himself to this unnamed, outcast, rejected, stigmatized woman. Wow. This is how it works. As we go out to this world and influence people, we start with candid conversation. Then we slowly move into the gospel. Then we talk about our sinful nature. Then it moves on to what is true worship, making them realize what is true worship. And finally, the revelation of Christ to them. And let me tell one more thing over here. This woman, when she starts talking with Jesus, she initially sees Jesus only as a very random Jew who is just coming to drink some water. But later on, when she starts talking with him more, she understands, oh, he is someone greater than Jacob who has come to drink. And soon after that, he, she understands, oh, this is not just someone greater than Jacob. She spends more time with him and understands that this is a prophet. He revealed everything that is there in my life. And soon after that, she sees that this is God himself. What is my point? My point is this. The more time you spend with Christ, the more you get to know him. So influencers spend their time with Christ. How do I know that she was really influenced by Jesus? 
Verse 39, very clear. Verse 39. From that city, many of the Samaritans believed in him because of the word of the woman who testifies, who testified. So what we see here is influencers make other influencers. Influencers make other influencers. Now when the Samaritans came to know about Jesus, they asked him to stay with them two days. So it was like two days of seminary. It was like two days of theology. Two days of unveiling divine revelation to the people of Samaria. And as a result, many people believed on Christ on that day because of his word. So, number one, we start with a candid conversation. Then we move on to the gospel. We move on to talking about the sinful nature of man. Why are we moving into that sinful nature? Why, why are we doing that? The thing is this, we cannot save ourselves. We are all sinfully depraved people. We will never choose to come to Christ. Christ rather comes to us. We cannot save ourselves. That is why all of us sitting over here today, they need a savior. And Christ is that savior. He dies on the cross for our sins. He takes our place. This is the gospel, dear brothers and sisters. So once you have done that, you tell people to move from false worship to true worship. And when we have done all that, we must leave the rest to God. It is God who opens the hearts of people. Now tomorrow is Monday. We are all going to go back to our colleges, to our universities, to our workplaces, and we are going to meet a plethora of people who are unsaved, who do not know Christ. I want to challenge you. Tomorrow, go and initiate a conversation just like Jesus does with this Samaritan woman. Proceeding to the gospel. And just like what we see over here is happening. You don't know what can take place. Great things can take place. You don't know how, you have no idea how one conversation, one word of encouragement, one expression of love might change a person's life. So go ahead. I just want to leave you all with telling you an example of a real life incident of a pastor called John Wesley. He was a pastor. One day he was going on his horse into the forest and suddenly he's attacked by a robber. And this robber, robber points at him and asks, your life or your money? So he happily opened up his pocket and the little money that he have, he gave it to the robber. And he also invited him to check his saddlebags to check if he has more money. But uh, he was disheartened because there were only a bunch of books inside that. Now, as he was going back, as the robber was going back, Wesley just called him. And he said this, my friend, you may live to regret this sort of life that you are living. 
if you ever do remember this, now listen to that statement, the blood of Jesus Christ, God's son cleanses us from all sins. He just said that one particular statement, John Wesley to that robber and left the robber. The robber hurried away silently and Wesley went back riding on his horse, praying to God, God, that word that I just said to him right now, let it be imprinted in his mind. Let it be imprinted in his conscience. Years later, at the close of a Sunday service in John Wesley's church, a man stepped forward and he wanted to meet with Mr. Wesley. And he, he was, Wesley was very surprised to find out that this was the same, same, same person who had robbed him in the forest. Now he is a well-to-do businessman. And above all that, he became a child of God. And taking Wesley's hand, he said, with deep emotions, to you, dear sir, I owe it all. And Wesley said, no, no, my friend. Wesley softly replied, not to me, but to the precious blood of Christ, which cleanses us from all sins. Now see how just one statement influenced that man and he later becomes a child of God. This is my prayer, God, that you will melt our hearts to go out into this world to become salt and light of this world. Nicholas Zinzendorf, he said like this, preach the gospel, die and be forgotten. Preach the gospel, die and be forgotten. Why are we influencers in this world? To glorify the Father. Let us all bow down our heads in prayer. Father, we look unto you alone for our salvation. It was by your grace, it was by your mercy that you came to us. You sovereignly chose us to become influencers. It says that she left her jar and she immediately went back to her town after she came to know that he was the Christ, the Messiah. She forgets all the responsibilities that she had at the moment and her number one priority in this world was to go back into her village and tell who this Christ was. We pray, Father, that you would use us. Each and every one that is sitting over here, let our hearts be convicted to go back, initiate a conversation. And Lord, we pray that you would work in the hearts of people. We live in a very turmoil times right now. We understand it is a lost world, broken world that we are in right now. We pray that you would use us as salt and light.